the reason why I'm bringing this up and you guys might think like, why is this relevant? Sex and sexual habit, you know, it was so important from the time. The most was, relevant thing to growing up Christian. I It was even, so I little. I was so little. <laughs> all... And I remember thinking like, this is my purpose in life. Just to get fucked. Yes. There you go. Yep. Anybody that knows my dad and that knows our church knows this story. This is what he would tell me. Anytime I felt bad or would fuck up something, he would say, Rebecca, one day the dishwasher will be overflowing and one of your children will be sick and you will feel overwhelmed, but your husband will come home and he will expect due benevolence. God damn. And I remember being single digits and hearing that. And he was like, so whatever you're dealing with right now, you need to like work through it because that is your purpose and duty. It's why you were created. Hello and welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey and I'm here by myself today. This episode went a little bit long, so we decided not to do a big intro and all that. But uh, Sam's still alive and well, and uh, he is somewhere complaining right now, I'm certain. (laughs) Thanks to everybody who reached out last week after my uh, very embarrassing confrontation with the uh, Facebook survey that Sam found from back when I was 21 and pretty a total moron. <laughs> so uh, that was funny, slightly embarrassing. And uh, it's uh, thank you guys for, for uh, reaching out and consoling me, assuring me that, uh, you know, most of us were pretty terrible at 21. Thank you for that. So I wanted to take a moment to introduce our guest this week. Um, just to give you kind of a quick background on, on our connection. So most of you guys know that, you know, I growing up, I went to a really tiny little Christian school from fourth grade. I I think I joined the school and then I graduated from there. So I was there most of my undergraduate, whatever years, um, small place, you know, I think at, at its height, when I was there, we had 80 some kids. And by the time I graduated, it was down to like, you know, high forties. And most of those people I also went to church with the ones that I didn't mostly went to churches that were very similar to the one that I went to standard cut and paste evangelical. Um, we had a few from other places. Uh, you know, there was a Mennonite family that was involved. There was, think Lutheran or Presbyterian family, but there was also a few families whose kids went there that were from a a different local church. And over time, uh, I think we, we started to realize that it was quite a bit different than what we were used to. Um, I actually might. So this church had two campuses. They had their main hub, the primary spot, which was in the Carolinas. And then uh, there was the satellite campus, which was in mid Michigan where, you know, I lived. Um, I got to be really good friends with the, the pastor's son and, you know, good friends with both of his sons. And I also worked with a family that 
Um, I, I worked for them in the summer times. So I had some exposure to these, these, uh, this group and, you know, especially through talking through when, you know, one of my best friends there, we, we sat around and argued about doctrine and stuff like that a lot. Uh, it became pretty clear that like, this is not to throw the term cult around, but this, this church is a, it's a cult and very insular, very strange, uh, you know, interpretations of scripture and things like that. Strange things that they viewed as really important and other things that they didn't view as important at all. Um, there was pretty openly taught that, you know, the only people in the world who knew for sure that they were saved were people who were in those two churches. And uh, they were pretty like quick to ridicule everybody else. And um, strange ideas about, you know, women in the church and their role and when they can speak and stuff like that. Um, they didn't believe in evangelism at all. Not only didn't think it was important, but kind of ridiculed the idea of like trying to share your faith with other people. It was it was a different sort of place. And, um, you know, over time, some of my friends that were there left the church and I, I knew some things about it from talking to those guys, but I never feel like I really understood the role of the main campus in the Carolinas or how some of that worked, who the guy was that ran the place. And uh, our guest this week, Rebecca Joy Nappy, she is the, the, the primary cult leader's daughter. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's, that's verbiage that she uses to describe, you know, her, her church and her dad. Um, she's recently started a podcast called breaking free and it's, I'm not sure what all platforms it's on. It's definitely on Spotify and Apple podcasts. If you search breaking free, Rebecca Joy Nappy, it's going to pop up. It's like a desert scene with the silhouette of a, of a hot air balloon over top. But um, she's put out four episodes and she's like kind of going through and telling the story of her life, her upbringing, her shift in belief. And uh, it's it's a wild story. Um, at this point, there's four episodes out. They're all between 10 and 20 minutes long. I've listened to all of them twice now to uh, to really get an idea of, you know, how she was raised and like kind of, uh, you know, her thought process at different points during her life. And it's, it's alarming and concerning to listen to. And, uh, you know, we spent over two hours with Rebecca talking about, you know, her past and her family and stuff. And, uh, some things churned up during this episode that, man, very concerning. Um, I have some serious questions about the guy that runs this church. So, um, I, th I, okay, to me, you know, and it's, it's easy to, to, uh, you know, emphasize our thing here, but I think this is a really important episode and, uh, not just because I, I had some connection to this group, but, you know, there's, I think there's just an innumerable amount of these small insular churches and, and groups around the country and probably around the world that by all accounts are cult-like in how they operate. And in that cult-like setting, abuse happens, whether it's uh, 
you know, spiritual, physical, sexual abuses is rampant in these environments because that is just like the nature of having so much power concentrated in one spot. Uh, and most of these churches are never going to have a, do- a Netflix documentary. You know, they're never going to have like a HBO do a, you know, a multi-part series on the goings on in these churches, you know, until somebody murders a bunch of people, like we don't really hear about them. I think there are tons of these groups and um, it's fascinating to hear from someone who was a part of them and uh, really get maybe what might end up being like your only real glimpse inside this particular church. Um, I think Rebecca is a really brave person for what she's doing. Again, brave, just like Colt's another word that gets thrown around all over the place. But, uh, you know, Rebecca, for the sake of her daughters or her daughter, she she stepped out of the church uh, about four years ago. And since the moment she left the building, she's had zero contact with her family zero contact with, you know, anybody that she went to church with. I mean, she really left her world behind and, you know, not all, not altogether willingly. Um, you know, there is like with most cults, there is a policy of, you know, shunning and, and cutting people off that leave the church. They, you know, in their words, they turn them over to the devil. And, uh, I just, I, I can't, it's really hard to wrap your head around how difficult that would be. Most of us left church and it was it was difficult in a way, you know, or maybe it was slow and happened over time like it did with for me. Um, but you didn't have to willingly end your relationships with almost everyone who was important to you. Most of us still have plenty of contact with family. Right. We still have contact with our friends and things like that. Maybe it's changed because, you know, we're not you're not in the same realm anymore. You don't you don't believe in the same things or view the same things as important. But it's a it's an entirely different thing. when You have to when you know, pushing that, you know, red button, you are cutting yourself off. And maybe that's not even fair. You are going to be cut off completely from your family and your friends, and you will be alone. Um, she did so in 2019, and uh, as as she gets into, she was a healthcare worker with, you know, young kids. Um, she had a she's got a supportive husband that she's you know you can tell she absolutely adores, which is which is great, good for her, you know. But uh, she went into that you know, straight into that COVID battleground in 2020, completely alone. And she describes, I mean, it was very, very difficult for her. So, you know, I, and the other thing that strikes me about something like this too, is that, you know, most of us, me included, we had time to gradually walk back from the things that we originally thought and believed, right? That's very tough to do in a cult. Like you can't tone down your intensity in a cult setting without drawing attention to yourselves. I mean, I think that's a part of the cult infrastructure is constant loyalty tests, you know, and constantly being like evaluated to make sure that you are, you're all in and everybody's constantly watching. 
Um, so a lot of what you have to sort out after leaving, um, you're, you're tackling from square one. I have a ton of respect for her. I have a ton of respect for my other friend, you know, my other best friend from high school who, who did the same thing. Um, I know it was, it was very hard. It was very hard on him. And, uh, that's why I think that this is, you know, such an important episode for, for people to hear. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't encourage you enough to go listen to Rebecca's podcast, Breaking Free. Like I said, it's on Spotify. It's on Apple, Apple podcasts. If you look up Breaking Free, it's the first one that popped up for me. It's a desert scene with the silhouette of a, of a hot air balloon. I'll include links in the, uh, in the show notes here, but, um, really you need to listen to it. If this kind of thing is important to you at all, or still impactful to you at all, I think you're going to, you're going to glean a lot from it. And I think it's important for, uh, for people to hear stories like Rebecca's. So again, I, I just, you know, really hats off to her hats off to my, my friend who, who also left the church and, um, yeah, I, I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. It's not all, you know, uh, imminently serious. You know, we have some fun throughout the episode. We have some, you know, we laugh about some of the things and stuff, but, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hurt that's still left over from, uh, that time there. But, you know, I, I think it's really commendable that, uh, that Rebecca has made the choice to leave and, you know, kind of did so to protect her kids from that same sort of abuse that, that she experienced. So, um, check out her podcast, Breaking Free, and enjoy our conversation with Rebecca Joy Nappy. And we're back with our guest, Rebecca Joy Nappy. Yes. Okay, good. I was worried about that, but the little uh, things that we forget to clear up before we hit record, you know, <laughs> how to pronounce a name. <laughs> so, uh, Rebecca, I was, uh, I was referred to you by a friend that, uh, you know, he had told me that you had started a podcast and that you guys had gone to the same church back in the day or different branches of the same church and that you were the pastor's daughter. And, um, over the years, so now that you're like, we were talking about before we hit the record that you're a part of the, uh, exvangelical podcast sphere now. And, uh, there's some people in, in that sphere that really feel like they had a rough time and throw around the word cult a lot. And, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, it's a cult. Of course, everything's a cult, you know, just because you don't like it anymore sort of thing. Um, <laughs> one of the, I've actually, I've had this conversation with guests before on the show where I've said, here's the reason why I don't think that's a good word to just throw around because I had a friend who was in what I thought was a legitimate cult and yeah. That most people's experience is not what my friend went through. And now you being from that same church, um, you use the word cult in your podcast as, as part of your, uh, your descriptor for the place. Uh, what, what, 
What about your church do you think like makes it a, a cult? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. So in my mind, a cult is a place where you are limited to what you can learn, limited to who you can speak to, limited to who you can befriend. You're not allowed to leave the confines of that group. You are not allowed to listen to music that is not approved. You are not allowed to read books that are not approved. Everything goes through a funnel. In my case, my funnel was the pastor, which, oh, so happened to be my father. And so even more restricted than maybe normal. But when I think of a cult, I think of a group of people that have been brought into a situation that they can now not exit without severe consequences, leaving children behind, leaving parents behind, leaving who knows what behind. But when you are in the cult, you must obey the rules of the cult. Those are just, I mean, I don't want to bore the audience, but that's kind of what comes to mind and what happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 just to add on to the cult conversation too, I think one of the things that gets missed a lot, I words change meaning over time. So you can have like a technical term for a word and then like the societal meaning and impact of the word. So like cult, uh, on face value is like a, was a sociological term for like new religious movements. Um, which I think seems to apply to your situation as well. Um, uh, most new religious, most religious movements are old. Um, they're Christianity is an old tradition. Any of the Abrahamic faiths are obviously Hinduism, Buddhism, all of these very, uh, tried and true religious movements. And, um, Occasionally you get offshoots. Now, I don't mean denominational differences. Like that's still rooted enough in Christianity to, to maintain being not really a new religious movement. But I feel like as uh, when you get these really fringe things, yeah, it's skinned as Christianity. They, they adapted a lot of the same language. But when it comes to like the requirements, the reasons, the rules, the regulations, it's it's functionally so far off from what any normal church would look like that it seems to like function totally independently. Um, and as it's, it's own kind of essentially new religious movement as well. I feel like that also often plays a part in these like fringe ones, like the one that you're talking about. What are your thoughts on that? No, I totally agree. So one of the first signs that my husband and I, because I had no, ah, it's so embarrassing to say out loud, but it is the absolute truth. I had no independent thought until I was married. When I was married, then this, this, this man, you know, men are so superior to women. This man says like, what are you thinking? Like, what are you, what are your thoughts? That was so shocking to me. And I thought, well, like, 
Sam, exactly what you just said was, well, where did these thoughts and these beliefs and these doctrines come from? Who created them? Where, like, show me the Bible verse. Show me the, and it's like, well, your dad kind of just said that that's how we're going to do things. What? And so that was like the beginning of like all of it. But no, I agree with you 100%. Like cults, it's such a term of that's used so much. That's do we really truly. It's kind of used to describe anything. Anytime anyone feels like they experienced any sort of religious harm. Um, It's like saying you were abused because you got spanked as a kid a few times. Like, I feel like that's kind of not that. I'm not giving the old past to spanking. I know what the data has to say about it, but also that we know the difference between kids who were spanked until they were like eight or nine or whatever, and kids who were legitimately abused. Um, and you can, you know, argue on a, on a scale, there are different degrees of uh, inappropriate or unhelpful or harmful, but um, to just call everything the more extreme version of what it is, because you had a, it, it was harmful or you had a negative experience isn't isn't really a helpful descriptor uh and it kind of diminishes as casey was saying earlier other people's experiences with it growing up in a true uh cult-like experience and you know if you had the uh the plank that hung on the wall with the little pillow on the end that said grandma's paddle that's that's not abuse. No, the attitude adjuster. <laughs> no, the I had attitude. friends with that one. I had friends that had the attitude adjuster. Oh, you guys you don't to... have those? Do you guys? Have... No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and just to give people like kind of an idea of, you know, you're talking about the the insular community and like the repercussions of of stepping outside of that. How long's it been since you've had? contact with your family or your friends from church uh four years four years i i walked out of church one sunday after an event and crazy as it sounds after 30 years of commitment and service i was i walked out and i never heard a word that's incredible even from your family correct that's unbelievable i'm one of seven children one child is out with me so five other kids just can't speak like they they'd face social ramifications oh, for even reaching out to you yeah yeah i don't i don't yeah 100 percent. i do not judge i do not know their life would be turned upside down right and you know you know personally what it feels like and what you're they're handling i mean you don't know what kind of um what kind of struggle they're going through internally because obviously no one's going to talk about it but you know exactly well well, sam i can tell you this none of them were not able to communicate pregnant as a healthcare provider leading into COVID. so you know it's tough for them, but it was mm. not as tough as it was for me. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you were like right at the end of 2019, right? Yeah, I left in 2019. It was the last time I saw my father and the church. And then I was able to see, um, let's see here, 
No, Thanksgiving was the last time I saw my family together. And then I was in church the first week in December and I walked out that December, which you heard in my episode and I never saw any of them again. Is this uh, church a, is it one of those like off the kind of off the grid or do they like have a website where they present as normal? Uh, for oh. the rest of the world, oh, oh. they have a website. Oh, oh they, <laughs> they have don't a present website. as normal. It's not a big <laughs> like I. I've checked out church web. I I had a friend and I used to love just looking at church websites, um, just to see. You know, you would go through the statements of faith and see how they worded things to know what they hated the most without actually saying like no gays allowed and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's like. A lot of them work so hard and probably spend a lot of money on uh, for someone to like clean it up. But a lot of them work really hard to present as like accepting and normal and fun and family friendly. They're not they're doing something different, huh? Nope. They prey on the individual that's like modern Christianity is crap. I really want to serve God in a in a very sincere way, in a way that the world will not intervene. I want to be completely wholesome towards God. That's our website. Kind of Westboro-y, Westboro Baptist. Yeah, 100%. They're probably best friends. (laughs) It's a lot of, it's very like, you come to us, we don't come to you. (laughs) No, so that's the whole doctrinal, that's the whole doctrinal point of view. Is that people should go to them Correct. or do they believe in, they don't, so they don't believe in like, uh, evangelism, evangelism in no. a typical sense. No, no. Well, so I have to imagine it would come up because I, growing up in church, you couldn't go to an evangelical church without hearing, if not weekly at an altar call of some sort, you couldn't go without regularly hearing about the great commission and Jesus's call to go to the ends of the earth to everyone of every nation, blah, blah, blah. So what was their spin on that? How, how would that get talked about if it ever did at all? Yeah, no. So it was talked about all the time and we made fun of everybody that had mission <laughs> missionaries and yeah, we made fun of them because we were so heavy on the predestination and the work of Christ was internal. So Christ would come in and, enter you and you would have just like this new life and you would want to serve God and you would serve God and you would die and you'd go to heaven. You guys must have thought you were so special then. Like we all did as Christians, but like you guys thought you were like really Oh, Sam, Sam. Go listen to my episodes. (laughs) My dad had this whole, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Sorry, Casey. Uh, Anyways, so there was this whole sermon where my dad was like on the pulpit and he was like going right to left. And he was like, if, if the paparazzi knew, if the paparazzi knew right now who we were, they'd be surrounding us because we (laughs) have been, you know, Christ has entered us. And we, the only way you know that Christ has chosen you is you are here in this building right now. Whoa, that's so. And then I just like shot a tequila, and I would get better. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I just—it's so interesting to think about um, how big Christianity has been, but to think that 
like I knew my church as a kid. I was I, you all had the hierarchy, right? You just rated churches as better than other churches for one reason or another, based on zero information and no experience. But you still had a lot of strong opinions. Um, and but you knew that like other churches were at least cutting it, you know, uh, but to, to think that like your four walls or and then maybe one other building sounds like there was like us. You were like a satellite a subsidiary of like a. a yeah. There's like two campuses or something. Um, but it's like to think that only the people who belong to that one in the entire world throughout all of Christian history, like are the ones that nailed it. Was there like an idea of there must have, they must have linked it back a lot to like what their opinion of quote unquote historic Christianity was. Right. Like they're the only ones like yes who are doing it right and everyone else just has fucked it up for the past yep. 2000 yep. years if you were white and you were male and you were in america chances are if you made it to my dad's church like you were good so my dad always had this like he'd be up there and he'd be preaching but there would there was always this teaching of if you're not in our church and you want to do good and you hate the world, and you hate sin, and you hate Hollywood, you likely might be saved also, and you are not a member of our church, and we love you. But, like, you better be... You better hate all the same things we do. Correct. <laughs> That's it. And, and he would say it over and over. He would say, there's Catholics. By the way, my dad hates Catholics that the church hates Catholics more than anything, but he would well, say, that's one of the few things he's right about. Yeah. We got to have that in common. Okay, he would say, he would say even Catholics will end up in heaven. If they hate the same things as you. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> the caveat, the hate caveat is what's the really hate. special. You have to they hate free will as much enough. as you love. Yeah. And you didn't earn that hate. That was just bestowed upon you Correct. by the good grace of our predestining father. No missionaries. I remember my friend and I. <laughs> I remember my friend and I going round and round about that. Cause so there we had a my church got a new youth pastor at some point, a young guy, and he was like a Calvinist of some sort. And uh I had none of us had reformed. really ever heard. He was reformed. And, uh, yeah, maybe. He was something. <laughs> and that was the first time any of us had heard about predestination. We'd always just heard that, like, you know, you you got to trust in God as your savior and make a choice and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, my junior, senior year, like, that just engulfed everybody to the point where, like, we just spent hours and hours arguing about it and, like, pointing at, like, our select verses and, and yelling at each other and not yelling, but. It dro- it definitely drove a wedge between like groups at the school, you know, over literally just nonsense. But I I remember my buddy talking about that though, and basically how like like the whole thing that like man's sinful nature, like you really can't do anything good on your own. No. Like you can only like be a vessel for God to do something good because even if you do a good thing, your motives are selfish Correct. and self-aggrandizing, Correct. right? It's all filthy rags, my friend. Uh, did you, Rebecca, did you, Um, I want to get a little broader 
history here. So obviously, uh, you said your dad was a pastor. Was this, um, did you grow up with him in this and being the pastor of it? Or did your family find their way into it in a, at a time where you like remember a shift occurring? So my father is the pastor of the church that I grew up in. So since conception, that's what I remember is my dad. Um, so when I was like very little, my dad all of a sudden was not the pastor. I remember him being the pastor. And then all of a sudden, as like a very, very young age, he wasn't the pastor. And then he was sitting next to me in the pew. I remember distinctly that, that, but I was so little, two, three, four years old. I wasn't able to comprehend that. Um, and so he sat next to me and different men would like the church just tried to hold on with duct tape and a rubber duck and some popsicle sticks, like just trying to like, we're all here. We want to do good, but there's no leader. And then, um, my father was out of the ministry for seven years and at the seven year mark, he had this like miraculous seven year itch no <laughs> no he, he I, I believe he took it from nebuchadnezzar being in the field for seven years um in the old testament but he he all of a sudden at seven years said i'm back and he stood in front of the congregation and he asked the entire congregation to step forward family by family father signed first mother signed second and any children over 13 sign after a covenant to become the congregation. And so that happened. And I was at that time, like eight, nine years old. It was very... I want to read this covenant. Oh, so dramatic. It was so dramatic. <laughs> it was so, Oh my goodness. But anyways, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question completely, but yeah. from my inception of child, like just my childhood growing up, there were years of him not being in the ministry and it was, it was fantastic. But then he decided at seven years, he was ready to go back and everything changed. He just unilaterally decided I'm in charge again and then made people sign shit. So he was ordained by an organization and a group of men. Then he was, what do you call it? Not impeached. That's what they do with the presidents. What do you do with uh, pastors? Flogged. So he was put down, and it was seven years of just total disaster. Um, men worked really, really hard to present every Sunday. It was, it was just ugh. But at seven years, so my this the all Quaker of, method. All of this was a show. It was all a show. So at seven years, he came out of the pasture like nebuchadnezzar did the king and took the flock oh shit it was a long con is what you think yeah 100 percent. and that's incredible i was only about seven or eight when it happened and he talked about it until i was 30 and i finally walked out when (laughs) i was 30 so i had to listen to it for like 25 years um but yeah no it was a big deal whatever so yeah he came into power when he came into power he came into power with vengeance and he was going to purify the group we excluded so many teenagers we excluded so many couples it was intense 
baptisms were like you were held underwater for an indeterminate amount of time until your dad thought (laughs) the evil had fully left your body and if you were still alive you were part of the church correct there you go let him let you breathe that's it you know who operated on the same playbook was ivan the terrible ah in in russia back in the day like dark ages russia he uh same thing he was like the the leader i don't remember the whole story but uh he was either like impeached or he stepped down russia had this like terrible spell of i don't know how many years where things just got really messy and they came back to him and asked him to come back into power and he was like well okay but things are gonna be different this time i'm just gonna kill whoever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, he basically it was almost like a hard reset like no that's a hundred percent what been, it was dissent in the congregation beforehand and he's like all right well you know what you guys do it and then coming back in he could really set the terms of how things were gonna go absolutely it was totally a re-hard set it it was it was just it was intense and any man woman or child that would not sign over the age of 18 was excluded on the spot you told a story on your episode about that, about a, a teenage girl that was apprehensive about signing. Yeah. And it's. Yeah, because my father had in his previous um, reign. Yes, I'm going to use that word. You guys just take it as his reign as the pastor prior to. He would have these sessions with the young girls and young men where he would take them privately and pray with them. And the young Hmm. girl that was apprehensive, a lot of the other young girls had left with their families during the seven-year break, said, I don't think this is what God wants. Like they were uncomfortable with that arrangement? Correct. Most of the other, other than my own sister, most of them had moved on during that seven years like truths had come out they felt safe because dad was no longer in a position of power yada yada so there was only a few left okay that's there's a uh, yeah okay sorry well we we don't we don't have to go any further on that than you than you feel like it but that's that's interesting given something that i read earlier but i'll um, I'll, i i have a question on that same line and Sorry, Casey. Obviously, to to the extent no, in which right. you're comfortable answering it, um, was there concern of uh, nefarious activity? Yes. Conducted by your father when yes. he was doing these alone prayers. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It Yikes. it wasn't to the level that you think of when you think of like horrible, terrible acts. It's this idea of girls allowing themselves to be vulnerable in the setting of an old elder but they're doing a godly act and there was just it's not okay to be in that setting and to hands to be held and secrets to be shared with an elderly man like now we know that that's not appropriate but at the time we didn't really i wasn't there I was not, this was, I'm the second generation. I'm the next level of my dad. So this was the first 
many okay. of them have reached out to me since the first episode published. Well, that's heavy. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Heavy for you. I mean, hearing from those people, like, that's that's got to be. It's tough. been intense. Yeah, it's been intense. It's names that I have heard my entire upbringing. Like as apostates, like yeah. they yep. discuss the names of apostates like yep. that. Yeah, and I never really understood them completely, but they. Hey Rebecca, do you want to talk? Yeah, I want to talk, and we'll get on the phone. They're like, "Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need anything?" And I'm good. Do you want to know about how your dad was before you? Yeah, I think. And they were like, "Um, well, he would take me at nine years old by myself into his prayer chamber, and we would." kneel and pray at his chair and he would hold my hand and he would yeah yikes <sighs> so sometimes you just have to turn off messenger list <laughs> yourself is not not present so i'm trying to figure that's, that a, that's a tough message to get or to get multiple of them i mean oh boy and i'm sure there's a sense of like i'm sure you couldn't help but feel like a natural sense of like uh, resp- like you, 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 you need to take all this in. Yes, it was my Man, father, so I felt an immediate need to to ask forgiveness, to say I was sorry. Yeah, it's been heavy. I I knew that stuff was not as it should be, but since the beginning of the year it's been very a mm. lot of heavy god i'm sorry that yeah. is that is a lot for a person to take on as so, um go ahead casey so um listening to your episodes and hearing some of the stuff about doctrine and things i think like episode two you got into some of the the doctrinal ideas of the church and some of the rules and things like that i get i kind of get the impression that Main campus was a little more strict than satellite Michigan church. Um, I mean, were you guys not allowed to wear pants? And it sounds like you weren't allowed to listen to music and watch, you know, TV and things like that. Yeah, 100 percent. So my dad had this mentality of you can be there was this gray area. Okay, so you will maybe make it into heaven if you listen to this or this or if you wear that but he had very clear guidelines for if you want to know your assurance for heaven without a doubt do not wear pants do not show your toes do not show your ankles have long hair be x weight for your height like there were very clear understanding of like what God expected. Damn, it got into weight. He got into yeah. Weight came up several times in the yeah in the so, podcast. Yeah, it's very important. He would use weight the same as you would use like cleanliness or appropriateness in public or yeah. 
All right. This is might be irrelevant, but I do need to ask because we've all been part of churches where uh, people hark on certain things for certain reasons. Was your dad a fit man? No, sir. Okay. Of course. <laughs> he, at one point, became fit for a moment. <laughs> for a moment. Well, we've but all been Long there, enough brother. to get into heaven, I'm guessing. It's like a time ratio thing. Exactly. But at, remember, at a certain lunar sequence, if you're the right weight and height at a, the proper lunar sequence, you're locked remember, in. God did not make men for physical attraction. He made women for physical attraction. So a man can be whatever, but does that whatever man want you? Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. So let me tell you, I, I don't love that. Let I me just tell love you guys the, a story. Let me tell every, you guys a story. Every man is the guy for, is the bad guy from uh, Pocahontas. Oh, <laughs> yes. 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 So I'll tell you guys a story. So I was like, so there's a bunch of kids that just like, whatever. And I did whatever I could to please my dad. So 10 years of marriage in after lots of talks of like, you guys know how this works, right? Do you need a book, a YouTube video, like 10 years in no kids. Yes. I know how it works. We we're going to figure this out. Mom and dad, we just wanted time to ourselves. So I deliver my daughter. I'm nine, maybe 10 days postpartum. And my mom's like, come over. I want it. We want to, we want to make you dinner. Okay. So I package up the baby and we drive to my mom and dad's house. I walk in the house. I can't wait to see your wife's expression. When you tell her this, I walk in the house. I set down the baby carriage. My dad runs out of the bedroom with a scale and slaps it down in front of me and asks me no to step on way. it. No way. What the fuck? 100%. Oh this word. is a true story. My mother was standing a foot behind him. She had no reaction because she had formulated this perfect no reaction. He said... She lives in that, and that just no reaction yeah. land in order what to survive. He's like, how much do you weigh? And I was like... He's like, stand on this, stand on this. So I just stood, right? And so I stood, and he was like, all right, what did you weigh before the baby? And I told him, and he was like, all right, this is how girls should be. Don't use delivering a child to harbor or hold on to baby weight. Christ, that's so gnarly. And I was like... So yet again, you were a shining example of... of you know, obedience and purity to your fellow women. Yeah. So he wanted to use that. And I'm like, <laughs> dad, I'm never going to have a friend. Like, what do you, like, what are you like? Oh, but yeah, it was so it's important like to him because he hated and would despise women that would deliver a child and then hold on to baby weight for more than six to 12 months. Like that's unacceptable. It's funny that he took that so personally. I'm trying to think of like, even how you could or why you would that's and other other people's wives right it's like I mean, not it's, your... it's weird to do that it's it's crappy to do that to your wife but to do that to somebody else's wife is especially weird it's yeah it's 
that just feel like the, out of all the things to control and 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 try to like have under your thumb that one seems particularly strange um he felt like weight along with many other things was a show of godliness can you deny yourself what you want because women were created for the man and what so you that- have to deny yourself everything and what did he and while men clearly don't need to deny themselves of anything they they deserve everything they want of course well yeah you guys have to like work and bring home the money and discipline the kids i don't know but anyways what um you can punch kids if you're fat (laughs) your (laughs) your husband had grown up in the same world from no thank god oh my god thank god no he met but he joined in yeah he joined when he was about 18, I think, 17 or 18. And that's a hard shit. Is that how you met him there? Yeah. Okay. Cause you weren't meeting people outside of it. Oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> what about yeah. work? I mean, were you able to work? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But you better come home. And my dad would be like, he was on us. Like, do not create friendships. We had no cell phone. We had no way of contact. Like, no. Whoa. Go to work and work. Go to school and do your school. He wanted no contact outside of the church. Because yeah, then not, CPS gets not involved. A... <laughs> <laughs> this is not a big church either, right? No, I mean, 120 members. membership. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I was looking at, I, I noticed they listed that on the, uh, on the website today when I was looking at it, it was that's like, what they're proud of is like the lack of members. They don't have a solid like growth. Plan. 118 because members the... and 64 unbaptized children. Oh God. Yeah. They don't count the <laughs> Oh, they count every single. Oh, why specify unbaptized? Because that's non-Catholic. Because they're not members yet. Correct. Oh, okay. You're going to be baptized in baby. That's right. It all plays into your eternal destiny. 120 members and 64 teens riding the fence. Just about to kick them out. <laughs> they better make the a second, decision. This three-year-old is looking kind of right, right-eyed. <laughs> now, so, like, when you're talking about the, the initial, like, uh, judgment day, when everybody had to sign the like the the covenant with uh, with the church and to follow the rules and stuff like that, you know, you talked about like um, that young girl not wanting to sign it and her family kind of threatening her with you know being kicked out. Like, was like you you said that a lot of people got kicked out, like were removed and handed over to the devil and stuff. Like, would they do that with? did you have to be a certain age before they would just forcefully eject you or no. what, what was the minimum? Yeah, no, I don't remember. So it was a conger, it was a congregation. So you had to be baptized and take the oath. So there was nobody under the age like of 18, maybe at that okay, time. Okay. So yeah, there were no like children. So like, Children are not, even when like a family leaves 
and the children are not in the congregation, if they were to like, I ran into them at Walmart, it's okay to talk to them. They're children and they were not under the oath through the congregation. Now, if they wanted to walk into the church today and listen to a sermon, no problem. It's all good. Only the people that signed the covenant or became members. So, yeah, children were okay. So you can just you could just visit this church as a stranger. Just walk on in. Yes. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I was in case you see a field trip in our future. I will buy your plane ticket in a heartbeat. I'll record plenty of it. Just so you know, when you're (laughs) first there, my dad is extremely charismatic and they love to love bomb. You won't want to leave. Oh, they hit you hard with that. Mm, that might yeah. push me out fast. I don't know. I, okay. <laughs> if you walk in, is there a way, um, I, is it the old bait and switch where like you can look any sort of way? Yeah. And they're not going to be like, get the fuck For out the of here. That, Sunday. You know, don't come back the second Sunday without their. And would I expect them to, to uh, let me know that? Like if I walk in wearing any sort of wear, would they be like, Thanks nope. for coming. Just nope. so you it'll know be, if you come It'll be back. a few Sundays in. They want to know if you're real or not because okay. they have a big thing about don't cast your pearls before swine. As, and I'm the swine? Uh, yes. Perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> you if you walk sure in are. and you're just like there for the food and you don't give it, then they're, they're not going to. Oh, they have food? Yeah. Between services. Some damn good food, though. Let me tell you. It's it's not bad. It's not bad. That's why most people stay, right? That's right. So we never got to we eat were, any of it. The new church <laughs> building okay. that we built, uh, there were some people that were very okay with, we'll listen to anything. Just give us the food. I'm surprised they don't attract a greater number of, like, you know, homeless or, yeah. un, or unhoused or starving people. They're like, hey, there's the food The sermons here. are in. just too long, Sam. I mean, even the homeless yeah. were like, "We're you guys are crazy." They we're die done. of hunger before the buffet. Correct. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> uh, they, <laughs> okay, is there any sort of? Uh, I, this is kind of the most important aspect of all of this. Does anyone bring ambrosia salad? So. My no, we we stopped. Ambrosia comes up a lot here, and I gotta. We, it's we just important to me. The bringing in of food. Now, a woman because COVID yep, was an inside job. Probably mm-hmm. we just rotate women, and women go to Sam's or Costco or whatever and buy the approved setting of foods because there were certain foods that, like, when we did the potluck style, that members were having to run to the restroom, and, like, people, like, it was a whole big thing. Like, I wish that I wasn't talking about this right now, because it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but we, we just stopped that. Dad was like, no, you guys are all going to sit and listen to my sermons two hours long each. So, yeah. So he fixed Whoa. all that. He didn't wow. want people coming just for the food anymore. He made no. sure the food wasn't as good. So you only ate it out of the need to correct. Gotcha. That's ambrosia is against it's specifically prohibited in our doctrinal statement. And by guesting on the show, you have unwittingly signed that you can never eat ambrosia again. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I didn't remember reading that. 
it's one of the only hard and fast print. rules we have. Yeah, it's a fine print. It's it's. Oh my gosh, I'm guys! I'm on a quest to eliminate ambrosia salad from the world, and if, look, I get it. It's kind. Of, I feel like this is my form of evangelism. You know, you know, you're not going to save the whole world, but even just one less person eating ambrosia salad me- makes a difference. I agree. I'm kind of of the opinion that some people are predestined to like ambrosia salad and we have to throw those ones away. <laughs> it feels that way. My wife likes it. And I think if there's any reason we end up getting divorced, it'll absolutely the number one reason will be because I just, I, it'll, I'll just watch her eat it and go, this is over. I can't, this is, this is not working this for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. I just can't do it. Yeah, and now like kids will kind of eat it. I'm like, I can't. Sorry, kids, you got to find a new dad. Yeah, yes. you don't have to be 18 to get thrown out of this church. No. Oh, <laughs> nice. Look at you, Sam. Look at you. Now, okay, so that that whole like idea of like shunning people is pretty central to, I mean, really every cult. Yeah, but. Was there a was there a provision in there where if somebody got booted and they wanted to come back and repent and all that stuff, like could they or were they done if they stepped out the doors? No. So if a member was excluded, we had a special service and we did all the things, they were gone and no one could blah, blah, blah. So then if they wanted to come back, they would just show up to a service and my father would gauge their level of repentance and if they showed an appropriate level of repentance and sincerity over a period of time to show that they were going to be consistent then my father would say it's time and we would have this elaborate dinner where if it was a ring and a robe just like the prodigal son and they slaughter the fat calf. Yes, they would. They would. Unreal. They would. They would. Little... Oh, it was great. No, they followed it to the T. And then there was literally a ring and literally a robe, and it was like a whole thing, but like not to be like worn and done in public. Like it was all in ceremony. They hazed them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they gave them pink bellies and made them streak through the quad. And, and and you said his gauging of their repentance was like an indeterminate amount of time. It was just when he finally was like, I trust you again. Correct. It kind of came down to his personal he level was of the, trust. He was the, um, you know, the leader and he was the, uh, you know, in charge of the, of the flock. So he would know if the sheep were at risk or not. If there was a wolf with sheep's clothing, he would know and he would tell us it was time. Did he? Did he ever accuse, uh, I'm thinking of Greg Locke. Uh, I don't know if you know who Greg Locke is, but he's like a hate preacher. He doesn't really have a big church, but he, he just blew up around 2020 and with COVID and Trump and blah, blah, blah. So he sucks balls. Yeah. He's, he's the worst. Uh, Maybe we have a clip of him (laughs) at some point. We've played clips of him on the show, but he, um, he would do the thing like there's like witches in this in our congregation today. And I could point him out. Like, so he would like call that shit out. And, um, did your dad ever do anything like that? Like where it's like, there's a wolf in sheep, sheep's clothing among us. Yes. And it was not, it was not great. So, uh, episode three of your show, you're talking about service and you, you said some things that I think 
a lot of people can relate to that that grew up in like an evangelical environment where there was like a you know don't be of the world be you know you have to witness to kids who aren't in the church and this and that and the other just like it's just like a very toned down version of what you talked about but there's there's kind of like a common thread there because you you had said that you felt like you didn't really have true friendships when you were a kid in church because you were you were you were there to report on who was doing what and i was kind of blown away by like what you you had said about like you had to sort of report what everybody was doing and how involved they were and who liked who and this and that and the other i mean can you can you just kind of share a little bit about that i thought it was a really interesting thought yeah so when you are the daughter of the leader that has a very inflated sense of self. He believes that he is superior to the members and he wants to help them get to his level to however he can. And so anytime I spent time with the children of members, I would come home after playdates or youth group or whatever it was. And it was just like, Hey, what what are they into? Are they talking about worldly music? Are they talking about TV shows? And I was like, we really just talked about what we wanted on our pizza. But um, yeah, I'll try to get down to the nitty gritty. But I knew walking into my home after any encounter with church members that it was going to be an interrogation. And it was this concept that we were trying to make them the best Christians we could. So this is how my dad would put it to us. He would say, true love, forget what the the world says and the music and the whatever, which we were like, yeah, dad, we'd never heard that music or watched those movies, but okay. So he was like, you have a pretty good idea of what it is. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So he was like, true love is getting a person ready to meet Christ at his second. That sounds like a death threat. (laughs) Dude, seriously. That's what he would say to us over and over. If you love somebody, husband, spouse, best friend, whatever it is, are you getting that person ready to meet Christ? So that was a heavy weight on us. So what you mean by, I never really had true friendships is, we would like, you know, talk after services or, oh, let's, it's so-and-so's birthday. Let's have a birthday party or let's go to the bowling alley. Like we would go and bowl and yeah, in our skirts, we were those people at the far end and we would like do our thing, but we would come home and mom and dad were like, Hey, how are they doing? Are they spiritual? Are they reading their Bibles? Are they talking about godly things? Are they not? And it was a they wanted to know for two reasons. One, they wanted to report to their own parents, like what they needed to work on, but also the number one purpose of everything was this person ready to be married. Uh, male or female? Yes. Okay. That was the key. So when we reported back, it all went back into my father's like uh, formula or algorithm of like, okay, 
who is most ready, least ready, that kind of thing. Now, this started at age nine and went up until I was married, like into marriage, married, honeymoon, whatever. Hey, have you talked to so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, okay, look, is she, where is she at? And that's just how it was. That's, did that's you so ever uh, knock on anyone? Like, that you, can you remember like giving bad reports? Or did you feel scared to do that? I'm so embarrassed. No shame. No, there's no shame in no, this. No, I this did. I did. Absolutely. Yeah. I was Kevin like, has Mortal Kombat 2, and he only plays as Scorpion, and he, he ripped somebody's head off right in front of him. <laughs> no, yeah, all the time. All the time. I'd be like, yeah. You kind of made it sound like the like the kids kind of started to realize they 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 kind of understood what was happening too, and maybe that it was coming from you. Yeah, me and you know, I had I had multiple siblings that were within months of me, and so um, we all kind of did it. But it became like at first I was so embarrassed, like oh, no one's gonna want to be my friend, and then it turned into like oh wait, you have like a straight like pathway to the pastor oh well i don't know if you know this but i read the entire book of psalms this week oh it flipped people would start telling you how awesome they were all the time there you go so then it became like oh okay so then i had to tell them that and yeah it just became like a thing and they it got so much more detailed as i got older and then it was married couples and it was who's happy and who's not, who's pregnant and who's not and why. And oh, it got a bunch of hot goss. Ugh, it got icky. Did, uh, Very icky. Did his whole, um, his whole, he was like, you said he, the whole thing was like, do they fit for his like marriage formula? This, or that did his, um, did he have like a giant whiteboard at home that looked like, like John Madden got a hold of it drawn like circles and X's all over it and trying to figure out like who's so getting married. To my, who. my father always prided himself on being the most intelligent person in church. <laughs> so he of would course. have naturally he, as any cult leader would, he would have all these documents on his computer because like, I mean, I'm 34. So like back up 20 years, like computers weren't anyway. So he would have all these like, excel documents and word documents and they would all be labeled different members of the church and he felt like he was rocky he downloaded a bunch of aol instant messenger dialogues and he, that people had like <laughs> with a uh, smarter child he <laughs> 15 like, page spreadsheet on who can't quit jerking off oh yeah that's it that's it like he would keep track of everything and he knew who is the most spiritual and the least spiritual? And it was most important to him because his children were, were all of or becoming marry, marrying age. So he was he was doing like a, a final four bracket for who was going to get to be your husband. Yep. But, rated date. But with, but with my father's rated date, because my forehead was long. My rate teeth. a date yeah he had like a whole thing man i'm telling you it was a it was a real thing so my forehead is long and i had a gap for my teeth and my boobs were small this is all things that he like wrote out like what was gonna put me what the fuck so there was a distinct time where i was in the living room we were doing devotions and my father there was multiple all of my brothers some of them had spouses or girlfriends or whatever and he said in Song of Solomon's, it says, what shall we do for our sister? Shall we build towers upon her? 
And he said, we should all, meaning all the brothers, put in money so that way Rebecca can have a boob job. Whoa, what what the fuck? And I was like 12 years old or something, like 11, 12 years old. And I was like, but okay. I'm I'm down for it. A like still developing child. It, let's Jesus do this. Christ. But he was just like talking through all of the things because they were like he would say, She's athletic and she's fairly intelligent and like I think she's good, but physically there's like some things and it says in Song of Solomon's, What shall we do for our sister? Shall we build towers upon her? And I remember he just took like, that to mean breast augmentation. Correct. And I was like, Good I'm God. I remember God. sitting there and all my brothers looking at me and my mom. And I was like, did they have breast augmentations in Song of Solomon? Is this really what he meant? Or like, did he mean like a blouse that would, I, I remember just like, this was my thought process at that time. Like it was totally appropriate. Every father talked about their daughter this way. I thought it was normal. I was like, I am oh pretty certain God. that the Assyrians would make an incision and shovel sand into your nope. boobs if they were small. <laughs> Die 48 hours later, but with good boobs. <laughs> Lovely fawns, crazy. Mean, according to Song of Solomon. Is there you go. So yeah. So anyways, yeah, that was the that was the right of date. Like, where does Rebecca land and whatever? Jesus. That is unbelievable to think. It's just creepy as fuck. I mean, I don't, there's no it way around that. It's the way that. I was raised. I just wanted to go to heaven, guys. The so. drinking was uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we totally believe Jesus turned water to wine at the wedding. And the people saw the one, Jesus. The one literalist thing that was like hella dope. They're just like. Of, of all that was present in the Michigan of, campus too. I of, I got the impression there was some heavy drinking going. Oh yeah, on. and the Old Testament. Whenever you wanted to like tell God how much you loved Him or celebrate, it always involved alcohol. Of all the scripts to flip, they they doubled down on some of the gnarliest shit, and then they're like, "But we'll open the floodgates on the booze." That's so funny. Oh man, it was intense. So was there some was there anybody in particular or some I mean did uh did your dad present anyone as like oh this is the ideal yes way that someone should look yes. like someone in the church or someone Unfortunately, in media he did both. Oh that in the church is creepy as shit I mean it's a weird thing to do anyway but if you're just going to pick a random woman out of the congregation Sadly he did he picked one out of the congregation he said this is great. She's got all the X, Y, and Zs. And then a couple outside. But my dad, so he combated porn all the time. That was a regular conversation in our home. That porn was bad and this and that. And he would talk about it like everybody did it. Every single man did it. They can't help it. It's just a thing that we do and we all hide it and it's not right and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Okay, so for the rest of my life, I'm going to combat porn. I got it. Like, this was at, like, single digits through 14, 15 years old. Like, this was constantly communicated to me that this is what men did. And he would say, throw that crap out. It's all photoshopped and doctored and whatever. And I can't tell you what he would do after that because I just can't. But he would 
give <laughs> ideas to my 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 brothers. I you know quite a few of them. He would say like this is okay because at least these women are godly women. Oh no. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, that's whew, so that's a saying, that's a weird turn. It is. It is. He would say like throw all that crap out like that's wrong 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 because your wife will never live up to that. Like that was and the reason why I'm bringing this up and you guys might think like why is this relevant? Sex and sexual habit, you know, is so important from the time the most relevant thing to growing up christian i it was even, so I little i was so little <laughs> all... and i remember thinking like this is my purpose in life just to get fucked yes there you go yep he's got Welcome a serious like, world you David will get fucked Bird for the vibes. rest of your life anybody that knows my dad and that knows our church knows this story this is what he would tell me anytime i felt bad or would fuck up something he would say rebecca one day the dishwasher will be overflowing and one of your children will be sick and you will feel overwhelmed, but your husband will come home and he will expect due benevolence. God damn. And I remember being single digits and hearing that. And he was like, so whatever you're dealing with right now, you need to like work through it because that is your purpose and duty. It's why you were created. Way to prime a kid to get abused in a relationship later, too. It doesn't seem like you had that problem, but that's really what you're setting a child up for, is just getting abused. Yep. Oh, my God. You should hear him go off on the Me Too movement. Oh, Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's got strong opinions there. Yeah, I can imagine uh, where his opinions lie. Uh, God, having, having listened to... I don't know how many hours of cult content. I got, I got, I got real concerns about some of that. So, uh, <laughs> so one of the things uh, that came up that I thought was interesting too is, um, and I remember in some of the sermons that I heard recorded from your church when I was in. In, back in school, uh, there was there was some pretty like flippant usage of disasters and tragedies and and things like that to to justify like or justification of things like uh, you know you mentioned in the podcast nine eleven and Hurricane Katrina and that was used pretty consistent pretty continuously as like, you know, this is God's judgment on America or on wherever. I mean, was that, was it specifically like lined out like exactly why that would, because I mean, Jerry, who was it? Pat Robertson's got famous quotes about like, well, God sent an earthquake to Haiti because they, uh, because of voodoo yeah. and well, Jerry Fall did that too. Whatever. And I, and look, I know you don't like when people talk crap about Jerry Fall. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he blamed nine 11 on the gays is what I think. <laughs> he did. Yeah. <laughs> but he did do a lot of great things. Right. 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 <laughs> this is, this is, we, we just, Last night we had an episode and and, and we read a uh, a Facebook post that I made in as a twenty one year old and I had a lot of stupid ideas. 
that's okay. But was I, that like something kind of common in uh, in sermons and stuff? It was. It was. So, um, he believed that those types of things happened nine eleven, like big catastrophic events, were results of God needing to place judgment on sin. So if Katrina happened or earthquake, you know, where, where, wherever in the world, he would always come up and immediately in that particular sermon, encourage the congregation to not be swayed by stories and give because they are not the chosen children of God that we are. And he would, whatever part of the world it was, he would have something to say. You know, New York was where a lot of sinners were. Or Katrina was just particularly outrageously sinful or wherever. It didn't matter. Um, But yeah, no, this was a common thread from the time that I was, I can remember, is when anything big like this would happen was, don't be fooled. And and giving was a big part of that because it sounds like giving was uh he like that was a very controlled thing and you weren't supposed to color outside the lines when it came to like donating and charity and things like that. Correct. Yeah. No, he did not like to hear anybody within the congregation giving to outside organizations. And and of course, you know, you've listened to my podcast, but there was even like a tighter uh, restriction within about giving within the church. He needed to be aware of it and he wanted everything to pass through him. You did not have to give funds to him, but he wanted to know where the funds were going. So was, I mean, I, I, I get that that's like a control mechanism. It was the idea that like anything that moved between congregants, like ultimately, like it kind of, you were meant to thank him for whatever you got, not the person who actually gave it to you? No, actually, his thought process was he wanted to make sure that the members that were the most deserving got the most. So and that was all decided by him? Correct. Yeah, so, like, if a member was having an issue like let's say that a member was working through a sin with the pastor and maybe that sin whether it be drunkenness or or gambling or laziness whatever the sin was his family needed money his family was not getting groceries was not being able to sustain themselves my dad would not want that money to go to him because he was working through sin. And so, so that- the, the family struggling, they diverted funds. So it sounds like the church was giving money to people that your dad thought was worthy. But if someone was working through a sin, they would divert funds away from that family because sinners don't deserve it. Correct. Okay. Correct. So that, that money would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're not deserving. They're not doing what's being preached. They're not. So that money would be like held. And it was always this like unsaid thing that if that family or that individual like repented and did right, then they might get the money. Uh, so it was like basically held hostage uh, to, to motivate behaviors that 
they would like to see. Yeah, correct. Dad will Dad will bless them that bless him yeah. and curse them that curse him. Yeah. Yeah. My- what was the oversight for you? Was there any oversight uh on your dad at all? Oh, I absolutely. mean, I know there was another church. No, no, okay. absolutely. Who do you God. Report to? God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and oh and by the way the only person who can tell you what god was thinking was your dad right that's correct that's correct perfect no i honestly good system i get You're it. really You're catching right. on yeah so it was a yeah. really <laughs> solid system we all kind of agreed and said this is this seems right what was the no. follow-up or check-in from like the other the other adjacent church the one that they were you were linked to yeah so the linkage was more like um not a sister we'll call it a niece so my father was the head and in the church and the church that I was a part of was the, the primary church and these other churches. Okay. Yeah. So they checked in to only see if they, if they ever checked in, it was only just to get his approval. That's so, so no elder board, no nothing. It's just nothing. your dad. After he played the long game of, uh, he 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 stepped back and tried to. They did the Quaker thing, and he let it just barely survive for seven years. Probably dropping little. Maybe if we did this or that's here and there to just keep it chugging along. Yep. And then after seven years, he has his whole like biblical parallel story. Asserts himself again as the leader. No real oversight other than whatever God tells him, and uh, and that's that. That's that. That's so, that's incredible. I mean, that is as culty as it gets. I mean, no, he's been I going mean, not even a pretend, Like even Mark Driscoll was a, a total piece of shit who got everything that was coming to him. And still not enough because now he's doing the same old bullshit somewhere else. But like he, he had a leadership board and he had them all. And it's like, you know, they all played the game. And when they would try to stand up to him, he would threaten them. The church ended up falling apart because structurally couldn't work with a rogue pastor and a leadership board that was trying to have some oversight it ended up falling apart but like even even intentionally putting in improper oversights while still trying to be like supreme overlord ends with often ends with churches falling apart because you know it the the congregation picks up on the infighting the congregation picks up on like people having these disagreements at the top, it leads to a split or the whole thing crumbling, but it's, uh, and people will, if there's anything that you'd want to equate more closely to being cult, like in the way that, you know, uh, we use the word generally speaking, like Mark Driscoll was one of those people. Um, and it's still like, I think it misses the mark slightly, but I think that's, what's crazy is like, you can set that up and still try to like run the whole thing top down, but just allowing other people to even like look like they have a voice or matter to other people makes it eventually fall apart. But like the trappings of accountability. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, or the, yeah. Or the, um, the illusion of accountability eventually turns into some level of accountability and, but not in this situation, it's literally just like one person, mouthpiece of god that i mean that's the most dangerous thing i mean that is what everyone thinks of when they think of a cult is that one person is the mouthpiece or spokesperson for god and they unilaterally decide everything i mean i i don't know how you get more culty than that 
I want to know. Was there any? Oh, go ahead, Sam. No, I'm, uh, I want to hear well, all the uh, questions. You go first, because I was going to. My question is, I, I want to know when things started uh, shifting for you. Uh, but if Casey has a question before we get to your exit, might as well start there. Yeah, let me. OK, so it's it seems to me and kind of like hearing some of the dynamic and stuff and talking about like, uh, you know, the, the the heavy emphasis on appearance, especially for for women. I mean, it seems to me that like, you know, picking weight and appearance and stuff as like such an important factor is it's kind of a way to like that, that cuts deep when you tell somebody they're overweight and they, they need to lose weight like that. That's a, that's a way of knocking someone down several pegs and asserting dominance over them, you know, among other things. Right. It seems to me that that's part of what the mechanism is for like keeping like control of women is to just hit, hit in a spot that hurts like that was there what did he what did he use for men like was there some sort of equivalent mechanism to keep them in check yeah so his i mean obviously men were not held to the same level that women were um there was just a lot more information that my father would uh communicate and teach and about women he felt i now, I need to say this as a woman. Maybe I caught on to and listened to a lot more of the what was being taught to me. But for men, it was, are you masculine? Are you providing? That's a tough one for me. <laughs> are you providing? And he had this rule of three times your age. Um, he wanted you. Yeah, so his rule What is was- that? Yeah, so his rule was whatever age you were, you were to make three times that in your annual salary. So if you were 30, you were to make 90K. And that was the sign of like... That's from God? What's that? That's from God? Yeah. That that equation? Yeah. Okay. Were a lot of people meeting this expectation in your church? Yeah, I I mean... That's the point. (laughs) Now, a man... Maybe making just over my age. (laughs) A man with his wife's, yes, a lot of us made it. Like, oh, you could count spousal income, correct? So, what if the wife made more than the husband? Was that we a problem? never talked about that? Oh, toss him out. Yeah, I never talked about it. <laughs> never talked about it. It, hap- it. it was happening at least once in the congregation until the man left and got excluded. Shocker. Mm. Anyways, so, um, yeah, so the, the man, it was just masculine. Like, do your children, like, are they afraid of you? Are they, do they are obedient with, um, upon your, like, voice and your command? Like, that was a big thing with my dad. He would, like, bark someone's voice or whatever, and there would be instant, like, recoil or, re- like, yes, sir. So, I mean, like, that was kind of like the man's thing. And then my dad would have... Um, these services where the men would need to get up and be thankful or um, give like a short little sermonette was what my dad would call it a sermonette on like a proverb or a psalm and those were the things that showcased that you are like a godly man so would you pick somebody apart if they did a bad job 
Oh, 100%. In in public or no, kind of private, a, it was an understood. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. And were these surprises like uh, pop quizzes on people? Like, you usually you tell us about Proverbs such and such, or would he allow the person to come up to talk about whatever verse that was Come on up and tell us them. about the towers, on the Friday, towers that we build on them. That we build <laughs> on our sister. No, no. On Friday, on like Thursday or Friday, you would get an email and it would say like, hey, second service is going to be any man from the age of this to this to just tell us what was on their heart. However, what I knew that not a lot of people knew was afterwards... We'd all go home and it was dissecting who did not get up. And then those that did get up, how did they do? Did they, did they use my dad's sermons? Did they use my dad's book approved oh. books for references. Which he wanted like if extra points. If you quoted your dad's oh sermons. Oh my God. He got so hard. <laughs> has, has he written any books? Yeah. Two of them. He has two Pretty good. Vo- he has two volumes of volume 1 volume 2 where he has given his explanation of every po- proverb. Uh, what a what a waste of paper. Oh my god, this has been like <laughs> 5 book, years of any book because there's nothing more how do I want to sell this than proverb cuz proverbs lacks con- it's just like wisdom literature is just like sayings that are definitely bound to a cultural context and you go i'm just gonna i'll read it on and then on face value tell you how i feel about it and what i think you need to do to there not be a fucking loser there you <laughs> go it's like that's i could write a book you like could that. write a book you know what casey that's our next i think our next episode is to rewrite uh each take a chapter of proverbs and just like rewrite it stream of consciousness Oh, that would be fun, actually. That'd be good. The grown-up <laughs> Christian bathroom reader. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it could. I mean, it could be a Tumblr. Really, we should just reinvigorate Tumblr. Anyway, Man. getting a little off track here. So yeah, Sam, you you kind of, I think where you were going is a good place to to head from here. But like, what at what point does this start to kind of? Because you were pretty devout. I mean, 100%. by the sounds of it. And it sounds like in your family, like there was just a crushing amount of pressure to to keep dad happy and to get an attaboy from him. And I no mean, resources to rely on outside of that. Like I can't imagine you had a lot of books hidden under your mattress or you were listening. Maybe you were listening to some podcasts. I don't know. Like what 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 light came in that started to like reveal some of the cracks for you? Oh man. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I was a hundred percent devout. Like I, I really, really, really wanted to go to heaven. Um, I wasn't super excited about drowning and burning at the same time. So I was like, what do I need to do? Uh, what nursing school? My dad allowed me to go to nursing school. And so I went to college and I started like reading things. And it was the first books that I had read outside of, outside of Pilgrim's Progress and Banger. Yep. King James Version. My hymn books. Like there were very little. 
Um, everything else was made fun of, and I would make fun of them right with my dad. Like, haha, two plus two equals four. So you think, <laughs> so you think, homeschool. Um, yeah, because I was right there. I was like a devout, like, what do I need to do? Anyways, um, nursing school was, oh, hmm. okay. Yeah. So, like, that, like, started to meet people and that kind of thing. And my dad was so hesitant about sending me to nursing school. But I met Chris, and Chris was like a potential spouse, and he said yes, he was okay with a female going to college. So it was like a double yes for me. So I was allowed to continue. So I went to undergraduate, and um, I learned a lot and just met new people. And I was like, it's so weird. They're not like setting themselves on fire. They're not like worshiping the devil. They're not like sacrificing their children, the fire in the parking lot. Like it just started to become like, maybe these people aren't so evil and bad. Um, so I would say like, I'm trying to think the first time that I really started to question things was, and I'm sorry if this is too deep for this uh, podcast, I apologize, but I was in nursing school and that was pretty much my only outlet from the church. And I was in an, an intensive care unit and there was an individual that it was time to let them go. And the family had signed all the paperwork. And so me and another nurse were in this room and we were with this individual and we started pushing medications and doing certain things. And it was just the two of us. And this, the patient that I was caring for died and all my beliefs, all everything that I had been taught just like came rushing through me. Where is he now? Mm. Where is he now? Is he in eternal torment and hell? Is he facing Christ? Is he, there was this pamphlet that I read as a teenager. Was he sitting in the bleachers watching his life play before him, the good, the bad, the evil, and having to let, you know, Jesus watch it too. Anyways, that was the very first time for me that it all came rushing in. And I thought, who are we? Why do I think that I have all the answers to this? And that was like the first little like crack in the foundation for me mm. of, I don't, I don't know that we know all the answers because there was this individual in front of me that I had never met and I was caring for and then passed. And then I, I did post-mortem care on, which is what nurses do to care for them. And you, you know, you, you're brushing this patient's hair and you're cleaning them and you're doing all these things and they've passed for their family to come in. And it was just a very, very traumatic experience for me because of my upbringing yeah. But the nurse that I was with was like, it's okay. It's okay. He's where he's supposed to be. And I'm like, oh, what? Like, but he didn't go to my church. And <laughs> she was like, what are you? What? Okay. Yeah. You're no. And that was like the first person that actually talked to me and said, Rebecca, I see people die every week. And you're telling me that they don't go to your church. They're tormented forever. And I'm one nurse in one hospital in one city in one state in one country. Do you know how many people die? Anyways, 
all of a sudden, like, just like this tremendous weight came on me. And I was like, I don't know that we're right. Just confronted with the reality of what all that stuff actually means in the real world. I'm no longer sitting in church in a pew listening to that was I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That was your uh in your first ex which would be normal. I don't know what most I mean, I shouldn't say normal, but um your first experience engaging with death firsthand? Yes. Did you how did it make you feel like to have those thoughts about it? I mean, did you feel guilty? Was it a nervous, scary feeling to all of a sudden like have these doubts about it? So I went home to my dad. I was still, um, yeah. So I immediately was like, dad, this happened to me. And he like, Oh, he calmed me immediately. He was like, listen, predestination, either that person's in heaven or hell and had nothing to do with you, Rebecca. You couldn't get them into heaven and you can't put them in hell. So just, do not stress. And I was like, that makes me feel so much better. So then I was like, wait, so what's church? Like, what are we doing? Like, if it doesn't Mm. matter, what, what, why? And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That particular person had no assurance, but you and everybody in our church needs to work every day for assurance of salvation. Do you want to lay where he was laying and not Uh, know where you were going? And I was like, no. So he was like, all right, get to it. Get to the work. That's the manipulation. That's like the spiritual abuse manipulation shit that, and a lot of people experience that on a, a, to one degree or another, Um, but not in, I don't think, and like, so my experience, like the words you're saying resonate, I go, uh, yeah, I don't have control over that. Yeah. You know, God's, uh, the, the mysteries of God and such. And, uh, I, I you know, I want to sh- be sure that I'm going to heaven, but there's, there's a difference in what I experienced in, in hearing those words, but the lived experience didn't always back up those beliefs. And that's where someone like the, the theological fragileness uh, came into play where you go, you could start asking those questions. It didn't feel as surefire. You could, you had access to other Christian writings and theologians where you were able to kind of ebb and flow. And, but the way that you're explaining it in the experience that you had, it, the rubber hits the road in a much different way. Um, that if like, I, it, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what else to say, but I just, it feel that, that explanation of it, that experience feels significantly different, even though the words are similar, uh, it's the entire culture and system you were raised in, uh, and the authority structures and the lack of ab- ability to really think independently for anyone to think independently or on their own, um, to be faced with something as difficult to experience and deal with as death, which most people don't, I would say most people don't deal with firsthand. I mean, I've, I've obviously like most people lost family members. I haven't been there for like their death. There's a, there's a difference in seeing too. I think seeing and being in the presence of a, a, 
lifeless body that change that that changes the way you might think about what you're seeing and and what you're thinking about and you go they were there and now they're not and all the mysteries of the universe are somehow wrapped up in this idea of like where something is silly or simple or un unbelievable in the sense that you really can't grasp the concept of where they are now uh and to think of you see a kind of a lifeless body in a peaceful sense, honestly, uh, and to think of them that just being like what's left over while whatever was inside that's indescribable is being tortured for the next infinity. It, it really like I don't know. I think the way that you're, I feel like I'm struggling for the words to explain the way that I feel about the experience that you shared, but it feels different than even though the the language is similar, it feels very different than the world. Any of us in modern evangelical experience um, with a modern evangelical experience would have, would have um, experienced that. I think that your struggle for words is perfect. I think that your thought process through it and what happened to me that day and listening to you try to explain it is perfect because it, it really showcases how incredible trying to put two puzzle pieces together, but they don't fit. Something's mm. wrong. Um, so what do you say? It is kind of like the, the thing that I struggle with and still, you know, even talking to friends um, who are still like devout Christians, you know, people that I respect and I think are smart and, you know, I don't, I don't, there, you know, there's no part of me that looks down on these people that I know well because they're, they have like some sort of faith or they're, you know, still, a Christian or whatever, but I think when, when you hear somebody say something like, you know, well, I believe in Jesus Christ and that he died me. And it, I, I think nowadays I just get, I, even just the term believe to me, I just, I, I, I just want to say like, I hear you saying that. I don't know what that means though. Like what, what is that? That's, that's what I missed with. And that's what kind of drove me out of the church is just, you know, having to confront the fact that like, I'm saying this, but there's nothing below it. It's not connected to anything. Like, I don't have any feelings about this other than that. I have like this arbitrary sense of like, this is right. And what it, you know, what you're supposed to think. That's right. What we're told to think. Sam, um, have you lost somebody recently? Not super. I mean, nothing out of the ordinary. <laughs> I mean, animals, grandparents, things like that. But nothing that I think has even really impacted me in a way where I'm like, like, I could, yeah, nothing. Because a, a lot of the loss I've had um, has come after I've been fairly comfortable not believing anything happens after you die. Okay. Um, that's where I've landed. Not that I've. I, I don't think much of it and I don't worry about it. Um, but I know I, I, I honestly, when I was 
thinking of it. And so when I was speaking, I was thinking of being a kid, like a teenager and my uh, grandfather dying. Um, Cause I was mm, 14, maybe 15, 16. I don't even remember. Honestly, it's hard to recall the exact age, but I was in high school and it was like, those were the, I didn't see him. Uh, those, but those were the questions that I had, you know, those are the things that I would think about. I remember, oh, asking my parents, was he saved? Was he not? And my mom, before he died, would have been like, you know, no, he was not because he didn't do this or that. And after he died, there was a shift, you know, she was having a hard time with it. It's like, well, I guess we don't really know. You never know. Maybe right beforehand, he said something or maybe he did believe like there comes all the maybes all of a sudden. And I, I think that's what's interesting to me is there's you know, you love these people and your dogma goes, because I love them, it's important for me to know and believe that they're quote unquote saved in the way that I understand that. And then you go as, as your, that's your mission and, and you don't believe it. And that's what drives your mission. That's what drives your love for them and your desire to see them again someday. And then they die and you go, that's your mission's over. Your personal mission to, to see them saved is over. And you go, all I have left is the hope that they just fucking believed the right thing for just long enough at some fucking point in their life that I'll see them again. And that's what, that's what you have left after someone's dead and you believe those things. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was very real. It made, it was very fast. It was very real. And it was very, Mm. I was very unsure of, Oh, wow. But um, I heard in your voice and I saw in your eyes, I was like, Sam's experienced some stuff. He's <laughs> He's been That's through. Really not much. Nothing out of the ordinary that anyone else has. And it's just the frame of mind you're in at the time that it happened. Because when my grandmother died a, a little over a year ago or more, shit. Time is all, ever since COVID, time blends together. Oh, yeah. But it's like. I've never, that was the most at peace experience I had with death. It was, I I cried a lot because I was, I didn't go see her when I should have. And then the day I decided to, I got a call from my mom when I was about halfway there that she had died. And it was, you know, there's nothing to see anymore. And I, I even then I let, I went home and wished I had gone and just saw her, just saw her. That's all. Yep saw her before she was embalmed if that was possible or whatever and whatever before the day of the funeral uh but i didn't and i thought that would hurt me and i think just like maybe my beliefs around the death and the afterlife had shifted enough so it was like oh i i let it all out at that time and then it crept up here and there as as it does when you experience loss you know shows up randomly and you cry about it and then you let it out and then, but I think that was something, but I thought this is, uh, my grandmother, her husband was my grandfather who died when I was a teenager. And these were the two deaths that kind of like, I thought a lot about like the difference in the way that experienced the two, uh, based on how I had shifted and changed and how much more interesting. Yeah. Death can be, uh, it's sad, of course, but it, and you miss them for sure, but it's not, um, it's just not the same. Like y- your philosophy and, and belief around death really shifts your experience of it. So 
I, I feel like when, after losing my grandmother, it was like, you know, that as hard as it is and sad as it is, it, I didn't, I, I, I more quickly moved into like a piece. She was very elderly. She had a wonderful life. She was a wonderful woman. And you can just kind of accept that for what it is uh, without the fear and anxiety of any of the other of the lingering effects of the belief that someone's being tortured for all of eternity. It really is less scary. Yeah. There's less anxiety about it after kind of setting those beliefs aside, at least for me too. I mean, I, I feel like that's one of the things that's like a, like a curse of Christianity, religion, whatever it is, is that like, you're you're constantly taught that you should have this assurance that you should know you know like you said like because you want to know like this is all worth it because you'll know that you're going to heaven you know but you never at least i never felt you never know you never never feel scared about it you never know and you're taught this assurance of like, well, you'll get to see them again someday but you never fully believe that and you live with that doubt and you and it's I, your it's, fault. Yeah. It's, it's your fault that you doubt. Yeah. Just work on your yeah. faith, Casey. Just work on the your I, faith and just get that stronger. Yeah. Plus the idea that you could you. see them again, it doesn't, it doesn't, it never provided me a sense of relief at all that I could see them again someday. I, it just provided a sense of anxiety that maybe I wouldn't. And that for whatever reason, and even if it was like the way I didn't intend it, you know, there's always that fear that you fucked up, that you're not going to make it. But for some reason, maybe they did. And you won't even see him again in hell. And you're just like, I, there's no assurance, no matter what, because you're just left with enough doubt to keep you involved in, in at my worst and most pessimist days, I want to say in paying, you know, just funding the church. I don't, I don't really always believe that. I don't think that everyone involved in the evangelical Christianity is nefarious for sure. Um, but on my pessimistic days, I'll say that's the subconscious goal is to keep you showing up through the lingering sense of doubt. Uh, on the other days, I think, uh, everyone's starving for certainty in a really fucked up and broken world. And we go, I'll show up here because uncertainty is everywhere. And at least for one brief moment out of my stupid fucked up week, I can feel fine for a second. And maybe that's what it is. So maybe on my better days, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're just looking for a reprieve Yeah. from, so it's hard to tell, but anyway, you, I feel like you just interviewed me for a second. So and I love I, it. And I love it. And I love it. And I, and I, and I, I fell for it. <laughs> I'm taking every single second of it in. So let me fast forward for you. So that would have been like 2000, that would have been like, you know, 2010 or whatever. I didn't leave till 2019 and I Mm. took pretty chill nursing jobs, pre-op, PACU, whatever, like healthy. I always had to pick jobs that were not super crazy because I always had to show up to Wednesday night church and Sunday services. So I had no one, no on call, no on call. So I always had to find jobs where I could, you know, my heart was like, I want to do this big thing, but I really don't want to go to hell. So I was like picking things. I could be there Wednesday night and Sundays. And that was like for years and years and years. I worked really, really hard. I paid people cash to like, hey, cover me Sundays. 
from seven to one because I really would love for like to be in heaven for eternity. So if you could just like take this twenty dollars and work <laughs> my shifts at the hospital, that would be super great. So I did it for years and years and years. And when I finally left the church, um, my incredible husband has like always been like, yeah, whatever. What do you want to do? What makes you happy? Go do it. Um, I got offered a job at what I've always wanted to do, trauma surgery. So super scared out of my mind. I went and interviewed. I got the job and I see dead people every couple times a month. Mm. And I, life is so fun. It sends you on this crazy journey and you don't know why you're going down this or that, but I could not have handled the job that I have now believing what I did then would never have happened. And now since like 2021, um, I've been able to do the job that I've always wanted. I finally got on the trauma team and I'm taking care of the people in my community, a couple hundred mile radius, the worst of the worst, the GSWs, the MVAs, the MCC, everything that happens, they come to me and they come into the trauma bay helicopter or ambulance. And then if they need emergent surgery, they come to me and it's just an amazing experience. We save some and we don't save others. But now, but now I get to sit with these patients that maybe didn't make it. And I no longer am sitting there like, are they in hell? Are they like mm. drowning in like some sort of lava fire right now that my dad would create? I don't even think that anymore. I'm at total peace. I don't think about it. I'm with them and I hold their hand and we do everything we can and whatever. And if they make it great and I get to, talk to their family and it's great. And if they don't, I take care of them and I bring them to their family and I'm with their family during that time. And there's no longer this mysterious, terrible, horrible ending of life. And it's just an amazing feeling. And I'm so thankful because I've always wanted to be there. My goal has always been, I want to be with people on the worst day of their life. And I've, and for the last three years or so, I've been able to do that. And it's, it's life changing. That's a, I, that's beautiful. I love that. I, I you saying that being with them in the worst day of life. I, I'm curious, and I'm sure you've experienced it, but I kind of want to hear your take on it. Is you know we spent so much of our life wrapped up in that fear of death, that fear of what's coming next, that lack of assurance, despite the promise of assurance. I imagine you've sat and been with people who are losing their life, and surgeries strange and different because if you lose them on an operating table maybe you don't have this experience but if you lose them post-op i imagine you've at some point experienced um or someone losing their life and being fully at at peace with that yeah is that something you've seen and it's I guess very the it's first the first time you saw that what was that like for you and she gave him a fatal dose of morphine. That's yeah. right. That's right. I'm sorry. Did you say 10 or did you say 20 milligrams? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the reality is almost nobody, even the most devout priests and Catholics and Christians and pastors and don't leave this world peacefully. Hmm. 
And that is something that has really gripped me. And it may sound morbid if you don't understand it, but I'm thankful for the, I'm thankful for my experiences. Mm -hmm. People that have served their God, their religion, their whole life leave very, very similar, very similar to those that have not lived well. And honestly, that has equalizer, I guess. Yeah. Because this is what I believe. At the end of the day, when you take your last breath, 100 years old, 20 years old, we do not know what is on the other side. And that is the mm. biggest component to me choosing not to believe a lot of what I was taught is there is nobody knows. The strongest faith that you can imagine leaves very similar to the way that someone with no faith has. That's very hard to, yeah, to verbalize. I hope I'm, I'm hope I'm doing it justice. No, but I think oh, yeah. you are. I think no, it makes the, a lot of sense. I that's think the closing pitch, you know, so many times. And when you're sitting in church and it's, you know, if you, I just want to ask you one question. If you're driving home tonight and you get in a car accident, do you know with 100% certainty where you're going to wake up? And it, the know. answer is no for everyone who's been there their whole lives. So let me, let me tell you guys one example of how I really came to. So like I can give you, I could sit here for another two hours and give you examples of like kids being thrown from cars and landing on the post of like, uh, anyways, yeah, just, and I've taken care of them anyways. Yeah. Um, this is what really bought it for me that we really don't know. It doesn't matter what language you speak. I've taken care of people that do not speak English and they've come into my room and they're bleeding out and it's, it's the end for them. And we're trying to open them up and stop the bleeding. And they've grabbed onto me and we've made eye contact and there's blood on me, blood on them and young people. I'm talking like 12 years old up to like 80 and they're not speaking English. And they like raise up and they look at me and they grab onto me for this last, like, please don't let me die. I have no idea what they're saying, but they're all saying the same thing. And I've, I've done it with young girls and old girls and young boys and old boys and in every color that you can imagine. And they all do the same thing. And that is what has brought me to this point in my journey of recovery from this entire religious bullshit is nobody really knows. I held my grandmother's hand. That was like a devout, 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 never did anything wrong. Like no one would believe she ever said a cuss word, whatever you think is bad in the world. She never did it. And she was scared right at the end. And mm -hmm. it could be a 19 year old, you know, a uh, Spanish speaking boy, Ta covered in tattoos and you just think all the things that you think that we were raised to think right he said the same thing so that's kind of where i have gotten to in my life is i've seen so much so much death so much pain and so much clinging clinging to life that that's where i am now i love it I, that's that's a beautiful perspective um I want to, I feel like the only piece that 
we're missing. Unless you feel differently, Casey, feel free to chime in with another question before we go this direction. But I, the only thing I feel like we're missing is like the last day at your church when you left. Did you know it was your last day? Had you been planning it? Just kind of paint a little picture around the final day, the final closing of that chapter when you were just like, all right, fuck this. Casey has listened to my last episode and you have not. So this is interesting. Um, <laughs> That's so- okay. Our listeners haven't. The idea, you're, you're trying to sell our listeners on this right now. They're going to go and listen to everything you have out after this. But oh. uh, if you want to leave them with a cliffhanger, I'll allow it. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. It's like I respect- a rocky training montage, I feel like. <laughs> like it kind of when you told the story, like it's a it's a serious story and it's got weight, but you're like, yeah. <laughs> so no. I did not know that the Sunday that I walked out was gonna be the last Sunday. Um I walked in like any other Sunday. I for months, maybe even a year, had known it was coming. But I was in no way spiritually, emotionally strong enough to leave. Absolutely not. I had a two-year-old daughter. It was December of 2019. I had just turned 30 years old. And as you will learn in the following episodes, 30 years old in my family is a big deal. 30 years old is when you become an adult. It's when you become, it's when Jesus was allowed to become into his person and it's how my father always thought so it was never 18 in my father's mind it was never 21 it was 30 he would marry a daughter off as soon as she had her period but 30 was the special was was the special age and so i had turned 30 august of 2019 several events occurred in the fall of 2019 that led me to know that it's going to be soon and one Sunday, after so many events of in my life of modesty talk and just sin being covered and my father is the mouthpiece of God on earth and just so many things that I just did not agree with. There was a Sunday in 2019 in December that I was doing my normal walk around the church, talk to everybody don't get in trouble, seem godly, dress modestly, be pious, be meek, be kind, all the things. I was just trying to get through it because I didn't know what to do. And my daughter was two years old, two years and two months. And she was running through the church and got hot and decided to take her sweater off, which she knew not to do, but she was hot. So she took it off and she had a dress on. And two. Yeah. She was uh, two years old and she took her sweater off and her sweater, her dress underneath was just the slightest bit too big. And it covered only the top of her shoulders and not the actual deltoid muscle. So it was considered immodest. So I'm just like talking to another mom and the kids are running. and I didn't pick up on it. If I had picked up on it, I would have stopped her. But she's running, and she ends up running through. So at the end of every service, the men would gather around my father at the front of the church. And we always considered those men to be like 
the holiest men. So they were up there. They were talking. My daughter runs through them. And my dad barks, Gabby. So Gabby like freezes, turns towards my dad. My dad walks over to her in front of like a group of men that were up there, of course, and grab bends down and pinches her little dress together right at her chest with his finger, just pinches it and says, you need to cover your cleavage, young lady. Jesus. And I mean, she, I just, anyways, so I was across the entire church fellowship hall. I saw the whole thing take place and I just locked eyes with my dad and I walked all the way across the church hall and I never lost contact with my dad's eyes. And I picked my daughter up and grabbed my things and left. God, and that was it. That was it. I never saw my father again. There was no, it was like you not showing up next Sunday was like, uh, I'm guessing as much as you can get in the mind of your father, the confirmation for him that it was over. So I ne- Did you I, talk to your Sorry. Go ahead. No, no one from the church current in nobody in the church and I know every single member like I've been there since I for 30 years. Mm. I was very very active. I was very very, you know, devoted to my father and to my mother. I led youth groups and I led the ladies meetings and I was like 100% there all the time. Always made it happen, but those last six months, I became less and less and less. But that time was when it was finally done for me. And it was it. I honestly, to this day, speaking to both of you, I don't even know what I was excluded for. If you don't show up for three Sundays in a row without messaging the pastor, you're excluded for forsaking the assembly. Wow. Would you normally talk to your family during the week or would you mostly just see them on Sundays? No, at this point? 100%. Texting my mom all the time, sister. My sister and I worked together in the same hospital. We saw each other daily. No. So after after that Sunday and the way you left and the lack of communication, would, would you be the one to reach out or would you hear from your mom or dad via text or call during the week? If that event had not occurred? Yeah, yeah. under normal so, no, yeah. So I would have like, um, yeah, my mom would have texted me at some point. We would have talked about content for ladies meetings or whatever i would have gone over and saw my sister whatever so when i left after that i i tried to like oh such a shock guys i knew what i had done and so i was freaking out i called chris immediately in the car it was like this is what just happened he was at work um it was a whole big thing and he he was fine he was totally fine he was like oh really that happened Um, but nothing, I never, I got nothing. No one responded. So in a way they, they knew that that was it. Yeah. Or had a sense of it. Or would it have been it if they had responded? Do you think you might've shown up if you got a response? Possibly. We could have talked through it. I would have just loved a conversation of just like, this is what I know about mom and dad. This is, this is how I'm feeling about the religions. This is how I'm feeling about what we've been like. No one ever gave me the time of day. Yeah. It was done. It was over. There's an interesting thing I was listening to about, um, you know, like totalitarian uh, Soviet Union, you know, and how they controlled dissent. And, you know, it's in in a, it's like kind of a large scale cult, how, how it was run and, and, you know, struggle sessions and, 
you know, spying on your neighbors and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is they talked about like, you know, when people fled the system or had had enough and stuff, they never gave them the opportunity to be a martyr or to make a stand. You weren't going to go into work or go into the government building and throw down your gloves and be like, you know, this is it. I'm sick of this and that and the other, and I'm taking a stand right here. And we're done. like, you just disappear. There's no final like sermon from you that's going to tell everybody and explain why you left and what you feel and stuff like like they never give you that opportunity to make an impact you just you're just gone you know and i i feel like that's similar to how cults seem to run yeah like it's not there is no discussion really it's usually just like the minute you're a liability to the rest of the congregation like you have to go do you think that you missing was an embar was it embarrassing to your dad with the congregation or was it like a sign of like look at his resolve like he's letting his own daughter go you know because he knows the truth and whatever so my little brother had been excluded a few years before me and so I have no idea because I wasn't there. Nobody, like, I have zero contact with them. But the way my dad twisted it for him, and I'm certain he did for me, was the more that you go after God, go after Christ, the more that you love him, the more that you give, the more that you sacrifice, the devil will come for you. And the devil has taken my daughter. And he probably made it super dramatic. All about him. Shocking. Yep. Yep. Very dramatic saying that this was a almost confirmation that he was doing God's will because his daughter that he loved so dearly has left him. I will say, so my sister, my brothers, like nothing, nothing, nothing. All these families that have known me since I was literally in diapers, nothing. Nobody, nothing, just complete. I send my mom pictures of my kids, sometimes of all of us, but mostly the kids, once a quarter since I left. And I just send her and I say, That's a really big move. I, so I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to commend that. Like, <laughs> you don't have to, and a lot of people wouldn't. And that's a really just big. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than just a real big move on your part. Thank you. So thank you. Good for you. Not everybody agrees with it. Some people think like, no, make her pay for this, whatever. So I think my mom is brainwashed like everybody else. I mean, she was mm -hmm. knocked up by my father before they were married when she was like 14, 15 years old and carried the baby until it was, couldn't be hid anymore. And then they were forced to get married and, you know, my mom was just, you know, she wasn't even, my dad did not even allow her to have a driver's license until like baby four. And she was like into her twenties, just like control. And she never had her bank account until like, I can go on and on and on. So I send pictures of us and I just say the, 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 the text message is short. I do not judge you. I do not blame you. I love you. Like always, we are fine. And I just send pictures of the kids. I don't want her thinking that I hold any guilt against like, how could you choose, choose my dad over me or how could you choose? No, it's nothing like that. 
So I did that every 90 days, sometimes shorter, and it would just go by clockwork. So my belly got bigger, then I had Lou, COVID's in full swing, church services were suspended, everybody's on lockdown, only essential workers, Chris and I are both in the heat of like body bag after body bag after body bag, we have small children, we have no community, it was the hardest year of our life. And I just kept sending her pictures. We're okay. We're okay. I don't blame you. I love you. You're okay. So finally in 2021, at the end, I said, I don't want to cause you more grief by having to see what you have lost. Send me a blank text because I know you're not allowed to communicate with me to let me know that you still want to hear from me. And I received a bubble. Wow. An empty text message. So I I still see I think that's pictures. beautiful. I love Ah, God damn. That's heavy. I love that. I think a lot of people go scorched earth. And that's okay too. I yeah. don't I, yeah, anyone sure. who's listening Absolutely. who have who has experienced any sort of abuse from your religious leaders and your families, that's okay. I'll I think for whatever reason. And it might be the part of me that still identifies with certain aspects of my understanding of Christianity as a uh, philosophical grounding post. I will, I err on the side of reconciliation insofar as you can attempt it, insofar as it depends on you. Uh, And I think repairing what's broken is always more beautiful than breaking more things. And I think that, um, your ability to see your like again this is towards your mom and not your dad so i think your ability to see your mom as a victim in all of this is beautiful i don't think you owe you don't owe anyone anything so wrong choice of words i whatever is going whatever your dad's doing like it makes sense that you're not directing this towards him we know where he is and where he stands it's very clear um but for you to see your mom in a different light and to not hold it against her and to see her as just another person who's been victimized by all of this. I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing that story with us. And that is, I mean, that is really like the difficult part of, you know, cults is that you can't really exist in a cult for very long before, you know, you're part victim and part perpetrator, you know, like you, you've had this foisted upon you and you've been, you know, um, conditioned into believing things and, and, you know, the, the community aspect of it, you know, you get caught up in and you, you know, you do things that if you leave, you look back on and go, Oh my God. I mean, that's, I can't believe that I was a part of that, but then, you know, I, I think that's what's, that's, what's tough about them is that there's not necessarily like clear answers about people who, continue to participate in them because they are, they're part victim of the, of that system while also helping to perpetuate it. And, and so to have like this, you know, really rigid view of people who are congregants sitting in Westboro Baptist church or, you know, um, God, what is it? Greg's locks congregation. Like you, you got to leave room for them to leave, to come out, to have something on the other side for people to, to understand like what they went through. 
And then the, you know, when the flip side of that is that like, go watch any documentary about like Jonestown. Oh yeah. And they interview all sorts of people who were leaders in that church and a part of the organization. And they just, they're the whole time they're selling you this idea that like Jim Jones was a wizard that hypnotized everyone. And we were all just like, you know, every bit of evil is like attributed to him. And it's like, pretty sure you were the one beating people in you, know, you were okay like with videos the of the wives. You weren't like, no, don't make me. Yeah, it's like when you see videos of like Nazis, right? When they're like, I don't know how I ended up there, but like, yet yeah, you also get to be held accountable for it. Like, you, but you were very you much there. Yeah, right. It's both, you know, it's and tough. I. That is what I really appreciate about your podcast and and your story. You know, I've listened to a couple of the episodes multiple times, you know, just to really get a good feel for like where you're coming from. And, um, you know, I, th- I, it was, it was either episode three or four. I can't remember, but you kind of like, there was a segment in there where you kind of apologized to the people that you were, you know, uh, I, I think it was, you know, on the, like reporting back to your dad and casting judgment and stuff like that. And, um, I think it's really uh, it just rings true when you talk about your experience because, you know, you you seem to have like a sense of responsibility while also like, you know, really recognizing the fact that like you were a victim in you. I I feel like you have a really good way of painting the dichotomy of that Mm. of that experience. And um well, I was homeschooled and those words are very big. So, I'm going to need to like ask Siri. <laughs> but um my my purpose, like why are we why am I hiding in my closet in doing this? Like all of us have lives and children and you know spouses and partners and everything. What what what's the point of all this? We lived through terrible things. So now what are we going to do? And the point of it is I want to be a good person. I want to be kind and I want to be accepting and loving and all the things that I, you know, judge my previous community for, um, you know, I get responses all the time from my podcast and I love every single one of them. And there are people that I, previous members that have reached out to me and they're like, I really appreciate you saying what you said because we knew what was going on. Um, and it crushes my soul in one sense. God, I was such a fucking terrible piece of shit. But then I'm also like, it's okay. (laughs) I'm way beyond that. And now I just, I want to be a really good person. And that's the whole point I'm on this with you. And it's why I'm taking the time to do the podcast in the first place is sure. Call out my dad. Sure. Absolutely. There's no doubt. I want to call him out for the, the straight up like illegal stuff. And then the, the sins and the manipulation and the, all that kind of stuff. But also I want to encourage people like, let's just, let's, let's just be good people. Let's take care of each other. Yeah. Uh, for the sake of, uh, I mean, we'll obviously link to it in our uh, show notes and stuff, but the name of the podcast, go ahead and share that with uh, our listeners. We oh, call yeah. it the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right now it's called Breaking Free. Um, and nothing else. It's just Breaking Free. It's on Spotify and um, 
Apple. I don't know what's what's Apple turning into. Like Apple's going to be no more Apple Podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> We've been not sure. It's having that same qualifier since for the past years, like, like Apple Podcasts or whatever. I, I don't know. Whatever Apple. I don't does. know. This is all yeah. new to me. I just I use Spotify for podcasters and I distribute it and put the RSS you know RSS feed and I don't know. I'm I'm still brand new to this, but um. I appreciate you guys. Like, I love your humor. I love like your ability to just like jump into a story and you guys just like make it fun and make it easy to listen to. And I appreciate that so much. Um, but the, the point of all of this is not to like save people or bring people in or kick people out. Like, I just want my daughter to be around an environment where she can be whoever she wants to be. And I just want yeah, us to be good huge. people, regardless of what color you are or what you believe or whatever. Like, hey, what can I do for you? What, what, how can we, you know, I just want to be a good person. Absolutely. Well, like I said, I really appreciate your show and uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, um, thank you. This is I know this fun. is the first kind of interview you've it, done it so far. And it's it's intimidating to to not know what questions are coming and stuff so thank you for spending so much time with us and uh yeah for the listeners uh you should definitely go subscribe to breaking free on spotify or on apple um it's a really great show and i'm i'm excited to see where you take it from here thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time 